We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Roots podcast. This episode 137 of the pod, a national title pod, a championship weekend pod, a Astros fallout pod, a buyer sell pod, a locks of the week pod. It's I had no idea way. how we were going to get all this in. Yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna we're gonna sneak it in. Another Tuesday pod for the people. I know uh, a couple people were taken back, caught them off guard with an early weekend in a pod good way, an early week pod. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think with. The way that these games have been happening, the immediate or relative immediate reaction is important. And with mm-hmm. that said, Matt, um, I obviously have to uh, ask you first, how are you? Uh, you know, I'm hanging in there. This is a tough morning for me because last night you have the high of the national championship game, but then it ends and you're like, oh, it's over. Can we can we get a super cut made of, of just me asking, hey, Matt, how are you? And you going, uh... Well, usually like the different the different us. Like, I'm not uh, usually that uh, uh, is is associated with football uh, either being over or close to over. No, <laughs> there is there is without fail a different toned uh every week. So yeah, I there just you want go. A, a super cut of Matt saying uh if we could uh, if we could get the production crew on. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh you know I'll get I'll get my minions on that. I'll have them, them start picking that apart. We should have that for you by next week. But yes, as How you said, you? only I'm I'm well I'm well no That's no good. complaints on my end per use. Uh Nothing but, nothing but blessings. That's nothing the difference between us. Nothing upon me. I'm the complainer. You're the you're the yeah. You know, glass half full guy. That's okay. The glass half full guy. But we, uh, each pod has to have one of the one you know, one or the other. So I'm just doing my part. As you said, Matt, no college football until August, and only three more games on the NFL schedule. So enjoy it before we get in some XFL action. I guess is I guess uh, we. That, I'll, I'll tune whole, in. That's a whole nother pod for a whole nother day. But they released those rule changes. Or not rule changes, like rule tweaks. The new rules, yeah. Or their differences between normal football, yeah, and NFL football. It's going to be an absolute shit show. It's not going to look like football. Like, depending on how much these coaches and offense coordinators want to exploit the offensive rules, you can you can pass the ball. There's there's you can pass the ball forward twice. There's two forward passes. As long as the first pass occurs behind the line of scrimmage, you can pass it forward again. Like. There's so much you could do with just that rule alone to make it not look like football and make it look like Quidditch that it's just going to be it's going to be wild. But I'm going to tell you what we're, we have. I, you have a point. I agree to an extent, <laughs> and I do want to talk about the XFL, the ins and outs of it. But we can save that for the yes. uh, either you know, yes. the, the week after the Super Bowl when they kick off. We can give you a full season XFL preview and our thoughts on the rules. But hey, why don't we talk about the great game that already happened last night? Today is is for one thing and one thing only, and that's giving Joe Burrow his flowers, crowning him maybe a cigar, the Heisman, a cigar, uh, whatever whatever he wants to celebrate with. Joe Burrow gets it because you know I put a tweet out and just kind of pulled the masses of was that the the greatest college football season we've ever seen? And I know it's the ultimate recency bias, but I'm hard pressed to find a guy who wins the Heisman, wins the national title game, breaks relative, breaks practically every single passing and offensive record for a quarterback in a single season, mm-hmm. uh, catapults his his profile forward, 
tactically like we've not seen before? Does it transferring from one major program being a backup to another? Just the storyline of how it happened. I don't remember. I don't know a better season than what Joe Burrow just did. Completing it at a 77% plus clip or a 76.5 plus clip, throwing 60 plus touchdowns, accounting for 63 touchdowns, winning the Heisman by the biggest margin ever. It's just, I think it's the greatest college football season we've ever seen by an individual player. Yeah, and to build off that too, I think I was watching sports, I was watching uh, Scott Van Pelt Sports Center last night. I think it was Todd McShay who was talking about it. You know, from just a strictly like draft stock scouting standpoint, mm-hmm. he's not sure there's been a person who's done more to improve their stock in a single year, who's improved more in a single year from one year to the next than Joe Burrow. I mean, you look at what he did two years ago. He was just kind of your honestly typical LSU quarterback that can kind of throw here and there, hand, turns around, hands the ball off, and just manages games to, like you said, if not the best single season in college football history, arguably it's right up there. It has to, I, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, so I would say it is. But, I mean, hats off to him that his willingness to change kind of their offense and, and turn the, the keys over to a quarterback for the first time in pretty much ever. And also to him for how hard he worked and from everything to win that locker room over to improve as much as he did. You're absolutely right. I think that's the best season we've seen. Um, outside of LeBron James, I don't know if there's a better, more versatile handshaker either. Joe Burrow's got more handshakes with his different teammates than anyone I've ever seen in my life, and it, it's, it's all like flawless. You. So I applaud. Yeah, I, I applaud a good handshake guy. I feel like we've touched upon that on the pod mm-hmm. before. It, that's of the utmost importance, and um, he, his handshake game was on point all season. But again, fifteen and zero. Um, you could go down the list of things that he's accomplished, but. Last guy to win the Heisman and the national title was Jameis Winston. So, I mean, enjoy this for what it was right now. Not to say that Jameis has been a bust, but his obviously his NFL career has had its ups and downs, um, sometimes in the same quarter. But th- this was an amazing moment for Joe Burrow, for college football, and um, just watching him do what he did last night. Obviously, my lock of the week last week was Clemson uh, getting the five and a half, or Yes, Clemson getting the five and a half. Mm-hmm. I've been up to kickoff bet Clemson money line, thinking just you know the moment might be too big for Joe Burrow here. Uh, the, not not that the moment might be too big, but with all of these things weighing on him, with all these records on his shoulders, with a Heisman in tow, would it be too much? With this month off of the press run that he had to do, he looked tired every every place he went. He looked like his eyes were getting baggier. I didn't know how focused on football he was. And that's what kind of that little inkling maybe forced me, forced my hand the other way. Joe Burrow came out yesterday and, you know, they were tested in the first quarter, even in the first half, finishes the game with six total touchdowns. I mean, that's that's 14 total touchdowns in the college football playoff in the matter of eight quarters of football. Just unbelievable stuff. So um, not enough can be said about what he did, but. All over that field, NFL talent. It was a pleasure to watch. To me, the game looked like two heavyweight fighters, one who was conditioned for the late rounds, the championship rounds, one who was not. Clemson came out with a great game plan. You know, they threw their blows early. It looked like it was going to be a great game, like a possession for possession game. And then, you know, the thoroughbred secretariat just kind of got its stride, and, and there was no catching it. I mean, it seemed like, I mean, early on, we talked about it on the podcast, and I want to say as, as the week started growing, or you know, getting closer and closer to the game, the growing narrative was kind of 
seem to be switching from everybody in love with LSU to, wait, you know, Clemson's actually really good. They're a team that's been there before. There's actually a lot of pressure. And I, I feel like a lot of people started, you know, believing your narrative, me included. I kind of thought Clemson was going to cover and maybe win that game. I thought the money line was a, fa- was a pretty nice value play. And early on, it kind of looked like that was going to be the case. I thought Clemson, like you said, their game plan I, early was fantastic. They were confusing LSU's offensive line. I know they were flipping the field and, and controlled the field position game early on, but LSU couldn't do anything offensively. Joe Burrow was kind of missing a couple throws and kind of it looked like Clemson was in control and the much better team early. But it was almost the opposite of the Ohio State game for them. And the Ohio State game, obviously Ohio State couldn't really put them away. Clemson couldn't really make the big plays to get out too far in front of LSU early and then all it really took was one or two big throws from Joe Burrow to kind of get them back on track kind of shake out the cobwebs shake off the rust get the pressure off the shoulders a little bit you know they became fine after that but I actually I it was like you said once kind of that thoroughbred hit its stride it was no catching but I thought Clemson actually played fine I don't think there other than Trevor Lawrence in the second half who I don't know what happened I know LSU got a lot of pressure but he kind of lost his accuracy there I thought Clemson actually played a pretty decent football game. Their defense lit up 42, but early on I thought was was really, really good. And their defensive game plan going into that 3-3 and sending all those confusing blitzes had LSU's offensive line, which is a pretty good one, you know, struggling and really looking for answers and how to stop that. And, and they were getting home, but then yeah. once LSU started having success in the passing game, that three-man rush turned into just that, a three-man mm-hmm. rush. They stopped sending those blitzes because they felt like they needed the help in the back end really didn't matter because Joe Burrow, I know we've kind of become desensitized to it, but so many of those passes, especially the touchdown passes, were with great coverage. Mm -hmm. They were just absolute dimes. They were deep balls coming in over shoulders. They were, you know, he that one he put to a high point in the corner of the end zone before the half. Like, they were perfect balls. And sometimes when a guy is in that sort of groove, it just looks normal. What he was doing last night, what he's done all season, is not normal for a 22-year-old, 23-year-old, however old he is. It's just, it was an absolute masterclass in quarterback play at the college level. Um, Now we'll see what happens and where he goes. Likely Cincinnati. Um, Hopefully someone buys that picks out of their hand. uh, I don't see that happening because what a first overall pick will cost. Um, But uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was the perfect fitting ending to Joe Burrow's career, uh, a year that, you know, one like we haven't seen. And I won't say one like we won't see again because of the past happy way that this this college football has gone. I mean, we've always said defense wins championships. Not no more. you got to be able to score 42. Defense might help you out. Defense might get you to a championship. Allowing 11 points per game like Clemson did might get you there. Winning a championship takes a quarterback and an offense like LSU's. Yeah, I'm with you. It's it's you you can't win a national championship game or quite honestly even really a college football playoff game unless you have an, an offense that's willing to go out there is not really capable to go out there and put up 31-35 kind of without even thinking. Um, but you touched on it. I think it was earlier. You basically just said, and I just very true. And I noticed it multiple times last night. I was texting back and forth with our good buddy Rob. Um, it 
each like each uh, each team had their moments last night where they just kind of looked like they were the flat out better team. Like early on, it was you know Clemson's just much better than LSU. Later on, it was LSU's that much better than Clemson, and that speaks to how much talent, like you said earlier, was on the field. Like we talk about the quarterbacks, obviously Burrow was great, but the receiver talent that he has to throw to is, oh my is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you, you like the five names of guys that caught passes last night are all going to be at some point first or second round picks in the NFL, and then on the other side, you got T Higgins. And Justin Ross, who was, you know, good prototypical wide receiver uh, prospects as you can draw up. And then even on the defensive side, both defensive backfields, I thought played pretty good ball games. There weren't many, I forget the exception of whoever number eight was on Clemson. I forget his name. Yeah, he was getting he picked apart abused. pretty well. But for the most part, like you saw LSU's corners playing pretty good football. And it's, it, at times, Trevor Lawrence is going to make a throw. Justin Ross, T. Higgins is going to make a play and vice versa. I, I thought it was just two really, really good football teams without much bad football being played last night. It was just sometimes the offense is going to beat perfect coverage with a perfect throw. We have not said the name of the best player on the field yet. And it's not Joe Burrow. It's not T. Higgins. It's not Travis Etienne. It's not Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. The best player on the football field and the guy who's going to have the most success at the next level to me was Isaiah Simmons. Linebacker for Clemson, number 11. He lined up everywhere from defensive end to free safety yesterday. He was in on every play. He made so many amazing plays. He's going to be a guy who I liken him to maybe a Cam Chancellor at the next level. He's six foot four, two hundred thirty pounds, and is going to play safety at the next level. He's going to be a top 10, top 5 pick. He's an absolute problem. I think that that's the best player on the field. Um, he is draft eligible. He was a junior. Just unbelievable. I'm I'm going to fill here as I bring up his stat line. But uh, finished the he game had, with he seven, seven total tackles, tackles six a solo. sack, two tackles for a loss, two pass defenses. Like, the kid showed the ability to do absolutely everything. He was running stunts one play and then dropping into coverage the next play. He, he's just a problem. Um, I, I really think, uh, with, all, with all due respect to what Joe Burrow did and what Trevor Lawrence is going to be, I think that that might have been the best football player that we saw yesterday. That's fair. I, I do want to, if we're talking Clemson defense, I know that the big topic last night was the targeting penalty that got their, their yeah. star middle linebacker. It, I don't have a problem with the targeting call. That was, I, I know that wasn't like a dirty hit. That wasn't, you know, head to head contact, but he lowered the crown of the helmet. Like that was the definition yeah, of target. He lowered his crown and launched. By think, rule, by rule, they enforce the rule properly. You hate to see it happen in that moment um, because it's a kid flying to the ball trying to make a play, but you have to enforce it on the last day of the season if you're going to enforce it it on the first first day of the season. The the issue I I, I don't know if an issue, but people, you know, obviously we all act in the moment like the Saints game, NFC Championship game last year got an entire rule change and and people Mm -hmm. are saying, you know, you can't have automatic ejections for targeting. You have to be able to, you know, maybe rule for recklessness or whatever. I also don't think you can do that because that just opens it up to being too subjective. Another level of, yeah. There is, I I think, and I I don't think we should change rules every time something happens like this in a game, but I I do think there is some validity, the argument of maybe not the automatic ejection, but maybe so many targeting penalties and so many halves of football or so many games that, you know, that's what gets you suspended from a game. Or if you have, you know, two targeting penalties within four halves of football you're out for the next you know two halves or whatever something like that I, I do think there's room for discussion for that but the 
you know, I, I'm going to, that was targeting. Now I'm going to rule whether or not that was reckless or not. You can't get in the head of a kid. I mean, there's some hits that are obvious, but for the most part, you're never going to be able to figure that out and call it with any consistency. Hey, you hate to see a kid's season end like that. Um, yeah. I, I don't believe he's, I think he's a sophomore. Um, so I don't think that He'll was the end of career, but regardless, um, just, you know, you feel for a guy in that moment. And I, I don't put any of that on, on the officiating crew. I think that, no, that was the right crew call. did a good job. Um, they didn't even make the call originally that was buzzed down from mm-hmm. that was buzzed down from up top if you remember so um th- i think in that case they did the right thing air on the side of letting the powers that be make the determination here mm-hmm. and not have it be our flag not have it be our call that then has to get overturned this was a buzz down from up top i think they handled it perfectly yeah uh, i Again, I'm with you. I think it was totally handled perfect, just unfair. It, not unfair to the kid because he did it. It's just a rule that maybe in the offseason take a look at how, how they're handling ejections, not necessarily, like I said, you know, case by case, but maybe opening up to multiple in a yeah. certain amount of time. But, we uh, can come at this one from a million different angles, Matt, but uh, I think we, we, we touched upon the most important here, uh, LSU becoming the 2019-2020 national champion in college football. Interesting uh, footnote to history here. The first one seed to claim the college football Which is wild. Yeah, I did, I did know that. That's with, the, with all the... I mean, you'd think Alabama would have done that was at a some one point seed, now. Yeah. But like they, when they, they were the one the, seed, they the, ended up losing. Yeah, the couple times they've won, I think they've been like the four or the three. So Clemson suffers their first loss in 30 tries, now 29-1 and one over their last 30. Uh, Trevor Lawrence gets his first loss, now 25-1 and one as a star- starter in college football. I'd say beware that team. You know, uh, it, the lines the lines came out already, or the, the odds came out already, and Clemson's already a heavy favorite to win the national championship. Le- next year, uh, you're not going to get any argument from me here. Yeah, a couple I wouldn't young hate receivers. That they, got a, they got a quarterback who, you know, I don't know if Trevor Lawrence is the type of guy. He's kind of California cool. I don't know if he's the type of guy that's fueled by outside um, impetus or outside, uh, you know, uh, Everyone Motiva- is to an extent. Motivations. Like. Yeah, but like there's going to be a bit of I want my Heisman. I want my national championship. I want my mm-hmm. moment like Joe Burrow just had, I think, in Trevor Lawrence next season. And that's going to be scary because I think uh, both of these guys are, are bound for success in the NFL given the right situation. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, Lawrence is obviously back next year. Justin Ross is back next year. T. Higgins and Travis Etienne can come back next year, though I think they'd probably both be smart too. Yeah take looks at what, what right draft behind them, like but uh, joseph nagata other guys like yeah it's, it's not like clemson is, is hurting no. for guys to just have step in and no. be the next star receiver running back yeah that was um, fun well, last Matt, night wasn't it it was, it, it was fun. fun that was um, i know I, the score wasn't like you know right down to the wire we didn't have a game-winning drive but that was a like it was a close football game probably a little bit closer than the score suggested until you know the second midway through the third early in the fourth when lawrence kind of wasn't on but that was a better game than we got last year when Clemson just kind of blew Bam out of the water. I think this was kind of the national championship game we, we deserved. I think everyone enjoyed that game except Ohio State fans because um, the way that that semifinal ended with, with the, I mean, we could go backwards, but with the catch fumble that was ruled an incompletion, you, you just you just question what if. What could we have done against LSU if you're an Ohio State fan? But yeah, that's a whole bag of snakes. That it is you don't Pro- want to probably, not, probably not a whole lot. Mm. I would have went somewhat similar, but mm. again, we'll, we'll they were a really know. good football team. So was um, so was Clemson. So was LSU. That's fair. That's fair. But any given Sunday or Saturday or Monday, whenever they're playing the game, yeah, it was Monday. Um, you just always question: 
what would have happened if given the opportunity. Um, that was that was my only point there. But yeah. let's dig into some uh, some it's big points. Notre Dame would have beat Clemson last year. They exactly, could beat yeah. Alabama. No, whatever. And then lost by a thousand <laughs> to either one of those teams. Yeah, uh, Clemson was yeah. better than Alabama. One, so lost by one thousand to either one of those teams. They lost to Clemson. Oh, like last night. Yeah. This I'm saying. No, this, no. I'm, yeah, saw, this I'm sorry. I was talking about last against year. either. Okay, oh yeah, hundred percent. Gotcha. Hundred percent. Matt, let's dig into the divisional round here. Uh, it was some fun watches uh, leading off with Minnesota and San Francisco. Uh, 27-10, San Francisco wins that ball game Again, a score that doesn't indicate the domination that no, happened on the field. Um, San Francisco just fantastic in the way that they approached the game, in the way that they executed. I believe in my eyes that that's still the best team alive right now, complete team from front to back from 1-52. to 52. Um, Tennessee and Baltimore then go at it. Tennessee... Just the the soup du jour, the 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 surprise that none of us expected um, coming out, putting Baltimore down, uh, putting another question mark around the validity of uh, Lamar Jackson and that approach come playoff time. Um, and then on Sunday it was Houston and Kansas City. KC opened it up down twenty four. They scored fifty one points Just to on. Houston seven down the stretch. That they was, were leading that was by halftime. They were up, they were winning at half. They started the they game, spotted. Them twenty four points. The game total. The game total went over before half. So there, there, there's how much defense was being played there. And then Seattle and Green Bay uh, wasn't interesting until it was. Seattle pushed late there, but Green Bay holds on. A couple nice plays by A. Raj down the stretch, Matt. But uh, where do you want to go here? Because I mean, we could dig in each one of these individually. But um, what, what, what Let's, caught your eye on the whole um, over divisional weekend? You know, it, obviously, I think most people would say the, the MVP of the league, most likely Lamar Jackson, kind of struggling. And I, that was really the first time. That was that like we, the least interesting thing to me this whole weekend because well, a part of me expected it. I, I know that I, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I could say, oh, I ex- expected that. But like, Well, if you listen to the let, podcast last week, I was the one who said that Tennessee was going to keep this one real close. I didn't think did. they were going to win. I said they're going to be able to run the football control. Baltimore's not always that explosive because they try to do the same thing. Playoff football, I thought they were going to keep it close. So I did say that. Shout out me. I am not. I don't want credit, but I want credit. For me, pro-style quarterbacks win championships. And there was only one guy left who was not a pro-style quarterback. I mean, you could argue that mm-hmm. what, um, what Ryan Tannehill is doing right now isn't necessarily pro-style. But pro-style quarterbacks win Super Bowls. Now, I did. Did I think Baltimore is going to make it to the AFC title game? Possibly lose to Kansas City there. I have mm-hmm. Kansas City coming out of the AFC. Yes, I did not expect them to lose to Tennessee, but I think the the problems that arise when you run a system the way that Baltimore is running it, and you go up against a team who can fight your fire with fire in the run game. I mean, just doing it differently. Then you got a real problem. You got a real problem when you meet a team like Tennessee and you can't take care of the ball whereas you can go up some against some other teams and and baltimore's approach even with a fumble here an interception there they can get away with that against a team like tennessee who's going to possess the ball mm-hmm. give it back to you run it down your throat it's hard to do yeah i mean that that's what they did they were just I mean, the i guess the big takeaway if you look at all four games obviously baltimore was probably the best running team all year with the mm-hmm. exception of kansas city because they're a whole different animal and have the best quarterback in the world the teams that were able to win, and even the teams that were still alive, were ones that were able to run the football, control it, and then beat you with play action, too, going down the field. And that's we, we saw a Baltimore team play, playing from behind that had to get out of their scheme that couldn't 
you know, pound the ball because they didn't know when they were going to get it back again. They were down 14 nothing before they could blank, and it forced Lamar to throw the ball down the field. And I know he put up some gaudy numbers, but, you know, completion percentage around 50%. He had the two interceptions, both of which were not that great. Um, the, the teams that won were the ones that were able to establish the run early and then beat you with play action later. And I think that's if, if Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy were watching, I, which I hope they were, uh, maybe take some notes there. Yeah, right. Um, my biggest takeaway here from the divisional round weekend was that at full strength, San Francisco's defense is the best unit, offense or defense, still going. I hope we get to see Kansas City's offense versus San Francisco's defense. It would be a fantastic matchup because San Francisco's defense at full strength, how they were on Sunday, and they're not necessarily full strength. Those guys that came back, Quan Alexander played about 50% of the snaps. D Ford, you could tell, was still struggling Mm -hmm. a little little bit with, you know, his explosiveness off of that hamstring. Um, And I don't know, I really... I guess I didn't put my thumb on Jaquaski Tart and what he did, but having all of their bullets Such back, a cool they, name. Jaquaski Tart. Yeah. They look like the first half of the season unit that they maybe plateaued at without those guys. It was the first time in NFL history that five different starters on the defensive line or five different defensive linemen all had one full sack. I mean, they get after the quarterback, they get after the ball with just bad intentions and a pace unmatched. Joey Bosa, or excuse me, Nick Bosa is the future of the position. He's the he's unstoppable in so many different ways. And when you have to double and chip towards him, you get guys like Eric Armstead, D. Ford, um, Solomon mm-hmm. Thomas getting one on one matchups, and you just can't block the guys. Now, San Francisco does have some questions that will need to be answered in the offseason how they keep this unit together. But right now, they're the baddest dudes around. Yeah, uh, I mean, honestly, it's a defensive front that kind of reminds you of what the Bears were able to do last year to an extent, except it's even a little bit better and even a little bit tougher, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think, up front. But uh, you, you're absolutely right. John Lynch did an unbelievable job kind of building the trenches on both sides of the ball, too, because as good as that defensive line was, the offensive line was able to run the ball, do whatever the hell they wanted with a pretty good defensive unit in Minnesota, too. And I they put up 27 points. They probably could have put up more, but they just decided we're going to control the football. Jimmy Garoppolo threw less than 20 times. They didn't ask him to do too much, and mm-hmm. they were able to run the ball and do whatever the hell they wanted on offense. And You win in the playoffs. You win against good teams by being able to control the ball and then take the ball back, and that's what you can do when you have that great of a you know front seven on defense, front five on offense. Um, I don't believe that the Seahawks or the uh... – uh, any of the losing teams, the Vikings, really deserve much of our time here on the podcast. Russell Wilson's great. That's about it. Yeah, he's he's great, but he was he was trying to do it alone. And exactly. Uh, he had he, he again, had no help and was just kind of asked was, to go out and win the football that was game. The, and, that was the fraud bowl brought to you by good fortune. Um, so so let's with that said, let's start on the <laughs> NFC side. <laughs> NFC side, you like that? The yeah. NFC side, Green Bay, San Francisco. Green Bay has had trouble stopping the run all season. Mm-hmm. Seattle couldn't really establish the run because they just didn't have the bullets. The offensive no. line didn't, I love Marshall they didn't Lynch, have the guys to carry the ball. You know, protect your chicken, protect your mentals, yeah. take care of them, um, all that stuff. It's all good. But Green Bay is about to face the top rushing attack in the NFL. As much as we talk about the defense of San Francisco, it is a run-based offense that complements it with some pass here and there. Mm-hmm. They're about to get a healthy Matt Breida. They're about to get 
Jeff Wilson Jr. They're about to get Raheem Mostert. They're about to get all of these problems. And, and, and the way that the way that um, Kyle Shanahan is employing this, the way that Kyle Shanahan's putting those guys out there, he's running fresh legs every single series because he can. He's giving, a guy, he's giving a guy a series and he's sitting down. There, there's no egos in that room. There's no um, I need my twenty touches in that room. We've talked about it here on the podcast before. It is rare and it is bearing fruit. I think they're going to run the ball down Green Bay's throat on their home field and embarrass them just like they did on Sunday night in primetime back in November. Now, will it be that dominant? I, I, I don't know how you replicate that sort of performance, especially with Aaron Rodgers and all that that goes into the matchup, him being back in Northern California, wanting to do it, kind of seeing the twilight of his career right now. Um, nobody believes in us and everything that they have here. There is a better football team here, and it's the San Francisco 49ers. I think that the better football team wins this game. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, and I I think that seven-and-a-half spread, which is uh, it's set at right now, is about right. Um, I mean, you just started talking about how great the weaponry is San, you know, San Francisco has in their, their offensive backfield there with basically the three-headed monster running back. They also have Emmanuel Sanders, Debo Samuel, George. There, there's no shortage of options to turn to on that offense, you look at the other side of the ball, there's Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. And San Francisco is going to be able to game plan to pretty much not fully take him out of the game, but essentially say anyone but him is going to beat us. And I'm not sure anyone but him is going to beat them. And once they beat them and once they take him out of the game as best they can, I, it's going to be similar to what we, we saw with Seattle. It's going to be Aaron Rodgers is going to be trying to win this thing himself, and I'm just not totally sure he's capable of doing that as great as he is. I think he's going to be able to keep them in it for as, as long as he can, but I, I don't see that defense being able to stop what San Francisco can do, and I don't see that offense being able to score too much yeah. on that defense once they are able to kind of game plan their best weapon out of it. No, no disrespect to Aaron Jones, but um, he's going to have to have a, a big game to keep Green Bay in this as well, but you saw the impact that Jimmy Graham had on Sunday. Tight ends don't fare too well against this 49ers defense. They have so many linebackers, Fred Warner, um, you know, getting Quan Alexander back. Those are two guys, two of the more talented linebackers in coverage. So I, I don't think Jimmy Graham's going to be able to have the impact he did like he did last Sunday, this coming Sunday. Seven and a half always scares me. Um, I, I don't know what the play is here, but I believe in my heart of hearts that if San Francisco can and Jimmy Garoppolo can protect the ball, be smart with the football, it's going to be another 27 to 10 type game like we saw last week. I, I just think that, you know, they're going to be able to, maybe not in the first half, maybe not right away, but they're going to be able to impose their will. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happened to the Vikings. The Vikings came out and, you know, hit that big touchdown pass early and got people thinking, you know, they were in this game and then. Maybe it wasn't early that San Francisco took over and dominated, but pretty quickly after that, we didn't really hear or see much from that Vikings offense the rest of the way. And Part of that think- is, though, they have Kirk Cousins, not Aaron Rodgers. Um, but still, I, I don't see Green Bay being able to do much. Not, not that the regular season is, is the same as the NFC Championship game, but we saw this movie a few months ago, and it did not go very well for the Packers. Um, the 49ers have been in some close games that have sharpened all of their tools. None closer then the inch between them falling from a one seed to a five seed in the final seconds of mm-hmm. the regular season against the Seahawks. Just think how that play, if it goes the other way, changes the outcome of these playoffs. Because we're regardless of who's alive right now, if it's Green Bay alive, this game's being played at Lambeau. Yeah, I was going to you know, say, you have the same the matchup, one I think, but you have Green Bay, the home team. Exactly. San Francisco would have not had the bye week, would have had to play through some teams, would have had to have then 
beaten the Seahawks. It, it would have been a completely different playoff than what we are seeing right now. I think the way that it's playing out right now favors San Francisco so wholeheartedly with home field advantage and being the better team. Uh, that kickoff set for 640 Eastern, 540 Central time. On the AFC side, it leads off on CBS at 205 Central, 305 Eastern with Tennessee and Kansas City. If you would have told me that the Tennessee Titans at any point this season, during the regular season, if you would have told me that Tennessee was going to be in the AFC championship game, I would have sent you to a mental ward. Like, it just doesn't make sense. But they've hit their stride. Um, They have a feeling of just uh, nobody believes in us. And I still don't believe in them because – all you got to do is find a way to stop Derrick Henry. Now that's mm-hmm. easier said than done because he is a UPS truck with feet, but I just don't think that he can rush his way to a AFC title, let alone a Super Bowl. Uh, you just got to be able to stop him. Put 10 in the box for all I care. Put eight in the box and man to man outside, make Ryan Tannehill beat you. I think that's what Kansas City has got to do. Um, but it's Kansas City, it's Tennessee, it's in KC. I think that this is another step forward in the cementing of Pat Mahomes as the top quarterback in the NFL right now. I just don't think that Tennessee is going to be able to score with Kansas City. That's it for me too. I, I know last week I was on the Titans kind of bandwagon saying that's going to be a good game because I didn't think Baltimore, even as much as they had the ball, was going to be able to explode for too many points. And if Tennessee, Tennessee's running game be able to keep it close. That's not going to be the case on Sunday. I know. I know Tennessee's defense. Kansas City scored three touchdowns in three minutes in the egg, first half. Egg, egg, exactly. Defense. Tennessee's going to. Excuse me. Kansas City's going to be able to score. They're going to put up a lot of points, and, and Tennessee's offense just isn't explosive enough to keep up with that. And they're not going to be able to. It, even if they are able to possess the ball for as long as they did against Baltimore, that's great. Kansas City's going to come right back down in a minute, and thirty seconds, and probably score right back on you. So it's just going to lead to probably your offense being on the field for a while. But like you said, I, I don't think Derrick Henry is going to be able to beat eight in the box, which Kansas City is probably going to be able to do consistently um, all night. And that, that offense at home, you know, in Arrowhead, I just I, I I see them kind of exploding for a lot of points. And as much as I like Tennessee, what they've done, it's been a fun story. I don't think Ryan Tannehill, as good as he's been down the stretch, and he's a fine quarterback. He's he's a middle of the road quarterback. He's done a great job taking care of the football, he's going to have to do more than that. And I'm not sure they're going to be able to. Even I mean, I know they did it in the regular season, but again, regular season's different from playoff football. 28 points in the second quarter for the Chiefs in the divisional round is the most points ever scored in any single quarter of playoff football. Um, I think that that sort of trend continues. I think that sort of explosion continues. I agree with you. Um, I'm seeing this line anywhere from 7.5 to it's it's – creeping upwards towards eight, eight and a half, nine, some places uh, in favor of Kansas City. So no faith in Vegas for these Tennessee Titans, but I think that's sort of their narrative. That's sort of what they want. They're okay with that, I think. Yeah, but again, Kansas City is just too much firepower. The Tennessee defense is really going to have to come to play, which they have. They're kind of a no-name defense. Mm -hmm. They they don't have a big face, a big name, but they've rallied because they understand when – your offense is predicated on handing a guy the ball 30 times. You got to make some stops. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to be on the field for all that long, but you cannot let a team rack up points and put you behind the eight ball and force Ryan Tannehill to throw the football as many times as he needs to. Um, mm-hmm. He had, I believe, 84 passing yards in the divisional round, and 54 of them came on that long touchdown pass. So yeah, see, you, you take away the run, and it's game. He's That's thrown for like 150 yards total in the playoffs, yeah. which is, I, 
I love the game plan. Don't get me wrong. It's worked for them up till now. It's just, you're going to have to throw for more than that against the Chiefs. You're going to have to put up more offense. Kudos to Mike Vrabel for getting the most out of his team the way that it's constructed. And, done an unreal job. He's got them to buy into him. Yeah, I think that um, you know he's earning himself some, some checks and some leeway and some opportunities maybe um, that we didn't see before this season or the last two seasons. So good on Vrabel. But I think I think the buck stops here. I think we get Kansas City and San Francisco, the matchup of you know what what – the matchup we deserve, the matchup of the two best teams in the NFL. Our um, LSU Clemson. It's the, it's it's the our LSU, LSU Clemson. Clemson of the Super Bowl. You, you really miss college football, huh? I already. do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> bad. It's bad. See, for me, like, it's great. Well, no, I, I, loved, I, miss, I loved last night. I, but, I miss it because this is, it's just like it's another step closer to we're just done with football. You know what I mean? Okay, but if, if, you, if you had a rule where don't make each year, don't if make you had a rule pick. each year, you could only watch one don't make finale. You could only watch the Super Bowl. Or you can only watch the national title game. What would you oh, watch? Oh no, I can't pick. No, I, just, I refuse. This is a podcast. This is this is the type of content that people want. Oh, you can only watch one each year. I'm not going to make you do this, Matt. But for the hypothetical, I don't want to pick. It's like oh, it's man. an easy answer. It's the Super I mean, probably Bowl. the Super Bowl. You're right, but like I don't. It's hard to pick against both. I love both. Why do I have to pick? Because I'm making you. Because that's this is a podcast. We I try and have fun. I we try and make you answer I stupid questions. I reluctantly pick the Super Bowl, even though okay. it's like picking a favorite child, which I don't have any of. How it. about this? How about this? I'll let you change it every year. I'll let you pick whichever game you want each year once you know the matchup. Oh yeah, I like. And I know that. that. Yeah, okay. And I know that'd well, be like hard that. because the national championship happens prior. No, but, but I'll just, well, if in I this had, hypothetical well, world. No, I like. To I'll take that because then I'd have prior knowledge, and then I could just bet on the you know divisional and championship weekends. There you go. And make a ton of money. There you go. There you go. Um, all right, but, cool. uh, we are set for championship weekend in the NFL. Obviously, we will have all the recap coming your way. But uh, I think before before we get into some baseball here and some Astros fallout, we do need to talk locks because they are more related to our NFL picks. Mm. Matt wins with his Chiefs pick last week. I lost with my Clemson five and a half pick. So that shifts the half game advantage back to Matt. He is nine and eight. I am eight, eight and one. A little bit Matt, of a roller coaster for both of us last all week. All over the place. Because like this, you, is, this is this is the race that people deserve. Yeah, the, the way that Clemson one started out for you, like I thought like Clemson looked obviously really good yep. earlier, jumped out the seventeen seven lead. I thought at the very least five and a half looked pretty good. And for me it was like, oh, it's twenty four nothing. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that was that was wild. And then, you know, I blinked and, and blinked and we're, yeah, we yeah, both, end up good. We for both me. flipped the script there. But uh, Matt, uh, three more weeks left in the in the battle for the for the golf balls uh, championship round off week. Find a pick and then Super Bowl. Yeah. But uh, why don't you give people your championship round pick? Matt? I am. I'm just going to stick with the with the, the win that got me last week. I'm sticking with the Chiefs. Um, I like Tennessee. I, I do. I think that what they've done up to this point is great. But like I said, I don't think they can score with Kansas City. And seven and a half points is, is what Kansas City's laying. They're minus seven and a half. I'm going to take that. Mm-hmm. Like they can win by ten, and that could still be a close-ish game. Tennessee can still do what they're you know do well what they do well. But Kansas City's just going to be able to score too many points. I think keep it you know separated because that offense, especially at home, is just so explosive. There's so many weapons. They kind of had their bad moment early, and I think they shook out similar to what LSU did last night. Kind of struggled a little bit early, hit their stride, and I I think there's no turning back for them now. So give me the Chiefs minus 7.5. I agree with you, and in that same vein, I am going with the Chiefs. I'm obviously not going to jump on the 7.5 with you because that would not allow me to uh, gain. You could if you want to. No, let's do that. That'll be fun. 
but uh, that would be bush league if you had the lead. And from uh, how about new rule? New rule. Oh, this is this is what I do. I, I make rules as I go. Like that was my role as a kid. Like that flag he, football, make up a rule, just really incite no, a little new bit rule. of uh, nobody a can drop. step out of bounds except for me. I'm allowed exactly. to go out of bounds. Exactly. New, new rule, rule. No if you take passes. my if you take my flag, I'm still I'm still not down. You this is totally right up my alley. But yeah. In making our picks, leader always has to make pick first. Yeah. Okay. Leader so gets the leader gets first. leader. Also, leader, leader has gets, to you know, pick first. He gets the first, uh, you know, dibs on what he wants to. Yes. Yes. But with that said, I am also going with the Chiefs, but I'm betting them first half covering four and a half. I think there's going to be such a stress, such a focus this week on getting out to a hot start for the Chiefs and mm-hmm. what they did last week, not wanting to put themselves in that same position. Um, I think that you're going to get a scripted 10 plays that might uh, bear two touchdowns. I think that there's going to be a lot of interesting looks in those first 10. I think there's going to be a a focus, obviously, on special teams and execution. Um, I like the Chiefs covering four and a half in the first half. Yeah, if you're those guys too, I mean, you, you saw what Tennessee did last week, last week getting out to that quick start and allowing yeah. them to you know be up 14 before they could blank. That's a team, unlike Houston, that could probably control the ball for much longer. And you don't want to find yourself in that position again. So I like that pick too. Uh, Matt, why don't we jump into a little bit of – no, not by ourselves. No, we got, we got, we got more. We got more. We got to talk a little baseball. Um, just absolute fallout in uh, Houston regarding the cheating scandal of uh, the 27, 2017 World Series. I'm saying that right? Yeah, 17. Correct, yeah. Oh, really? Up through, like the last few years, right? Not yeah, the, their, their entire – um, kind of baseball ops uh, coming into question here um, as the MLB hands down year-long suspensions, suspensions excuse me, to the manager and to the general manager. The owner then hours later says, see you later, guys, gives him the boot. Um, those MLB enforced sanctions will keep, uh, keep those two out of baseball for this year. And everything I'm hearing from people that we interviewed yesterday on HQ – this is kind of a blacklisting. This is kind. Of, this these are two guys that might never see, um, might never see baseball again. That might never maybe a bench job for. Um, mm-hmm. why, am I, why am I blanking on the Astros uh, manager's name right now? AJ um, Hinch. AJ maybe maybe a bench coach job for AJ Hinch, but no one's going to give him the keys to the car. Mm-hmm. And when you're a general manager who's setting this precedent of cheating, um, I, I don't think that. I don't think that anyone's ever going to give you a chance again because that's that's how you saw your success. That's that's the way you went about your business. And um, at the end of the day, you're the general manager. Everything goes through you. And some of the slimy stuff that they were doing and the way that they were doing it, just um, there's no place for it in baseball. Pretty obviously, too. obviously, baseball. There's gray areas that teams occupy to try and get an edge, and that's always going to be that way. But you step over a line when you start employing technology and, and doing things the way that they were doing, um, tipping change-ups by banging on uh, railings. Just, you know, it, 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 it incites so much anger in these other teams that worked so hard to get to these places, namely the Dodgers, um, who could have, could have, would have, should have in these moments. Maybe, you know, maybe Clayton Kershaw has a completely different narrative surrounding him if it wasn't for this cheating that the Astros were doing. But, you know, for me, a five and you could you could. I don't think it was you enough. You, could, I think that's kind of the, the prevailing theme here is they stopped short of vacating a title, um, and it would be so hard to make a title that. for I, Major League I, you Baseball. You can't really do that because you still slap them with an asterisk. Still have slap them with an asterisk. 
I, I need at least at the uh, very least. Honestly, Barry I thought, bonds their asses. I thought you know this was going to be somewhat similar to you know diff, completely different sport, completely different era. But like the SMU death penalty, which uh-huh. I think it probably should have been close to. That. I, I know losing a first and second round draft pick is a big deal. They lost it for two years. That's going to set you back. Not, and that doesn't they, affect they, you for exactly. five years. Those are they, not guys also, that are going to be in your they lineup. They also have enough guys in that lineup where they can trade one of them and pretty much obviously you can't trade for draft picks, but recoup basically that in prospect capital. So I, yeah. I don't think that was enough. I would have gone you know, closer to you know five first-round picks and maybe three second-round picks, take away international signing bonus pool money, and it would be hard, it'd be hard to enforce a hard cap on them. But you know, you, you have a hard cap of you know whatever for you know two or three years, and kind of force you to get rid of people, and you, you'll never get full value for those guys because of you know people know you have to get rid of them. I, I don't think the punishment was strong enough. It was pretty much we're taking away your general manager and manager and a couple draft picks. And okay, see, you. five million to the Houston Astros is nothing. That's one game. It, it is still okay. an unprecedented punishment. The likes because we've never seen this really before. hasn't seen before because we haven't seen this type of transgression before prior to the Black Sox, I guess. Like, I, this is just blatant cheating, uh, and there's no place for it in the game. And um, I, I want to see it affect Houston. I want to see it affect this franchise. I want to see them at the bottom of the division for the next five years. I just want to root against them now because because the affirmations of what's happened here. Now, the news might not be done here with um, kind of the the implications of Alex Cora and the Boston too. Red Sox. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of that one as well. Um, he was, quote, involved in developing both the banging scheme and utilizing replay review, uh, utilizing the replay re- re- replay review there you room go. to decode the, the signs. So it sounds like Boston was doing a lot of the same stuff here. So... Uh, or excuse me, Alex Cora. No, they they said in Boston too. There's like suspicions okay. that you know similar that stuff was going on. That they kind of do. brought okay. that with him. And then Logan Morrison, I saw coming out that he's former Rays, played in a bunch of different organizations. But said in his time in the Yankee organization, you know, he knew that that was going on as well. Obviously, it's going to be hard to prove all that. But you're probably going to have more guys like that at this point. You know, slighted by certain organizations, not in the league anymore, that aren't afraid to come out and say like, yeah, we were definitely doing this this definitely happened um it they don't think this is the end of the cheating scandal by any means but here it just goes to show the lack of popularity the lack of move the needle that baseball has right now that something like this is happening that's something that i mean you could and now it doesn't have the faces and the names of mm-hmm. the steroid scandal but you could put it right up there with that it, it, it it's kind of who cares Outside of outside of us, outside of sports fans, outside of baseball fans, uh, yeah, it's on the it's on the front page of the New York Post, uh, but it's going to be forgotten come first pitch. You know, it, it it'll be mentioned, it'll be said here, it'll be said there. But when we look back on history, the history books will still say World Series champions twenty seventeen Houston Astros. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know and what else an you can there, do. It's to, unfortunate. Like, I don't know, like. It still happened. They still went out and won, and I know you can put an asterisk next to it, but the trophy's still there. The banner's still up there. I, I just I don't know what else you can do. I just I, what would have maybe helped people remember that is really punishing them, and like you said, making sure they're in the bo- at the bottom of the AL West for the next five years. And I don't think they really came close to doing that. Yes, they got rid of AJ Hinch, but Joe, you or I probably could have managed that team. To an ALCS like that—that's how good and talented that team was. I, yeah. I don't really 
So Jeff Lunho's gone. Cool. They have another guy right below him who is probably, you know, in in on every decision too. That can probably just fill in seamlessly. So I, I don't really think they. I, I still think you're going to see them win the AL West next year. They're going to lose a couple of draft picks, but they can just reload with you know moving one of the guys in that lineup. Yeah, um, Matt. Let's dive into some buyer sells here before we say goodbye to the people. Uh, would you like to start us off? Yeah. Um, UFC is this weekend, right? We got uh, Conor McGregor. Cowboy, uh, Cowboy Cerrone, right? Um, I'm going to ask you, buy or sell a win here for McGregor leads to his Khabib rematch, or will he have to do more? Um, that's the logical next step here. Connor's career has earned him the right to call Benefit of the doubt, anyone to the cage. Um, now, the question here is, does Connor want Khabib again? Because of the problem that Khabib is, because of his... I mean, his absolute dominance of everyone he's ever mm-hmm. faced. He just takes everyone to the ground and sucks the life out of him like a snake. Does he want to do that? Is Connor, is Connor looking at, and it, it, I don't want to call it an exit strategy in a negative way, but is Connor looking at the final years of his UFC career and saying, I want, I want a belt, I want a title, I want those things, or is it I want wins, I want pay-per-view numbers, I want to say goodbye? Like, Does he want mm-hmm. to? Does he want that? open himself up to the toughest fights out there, that being Khabib, that being Jorge Masvidal? I think the answer to that is no. I think that he does have to avenge a loss, much the way he avenged his loss to Nate Diaz earlier in his career. I think that the logical next step is Khabib. Now, does he maybe want another tune-up prior to Khabib? And I hate to even call Cowboy Cerrone a tune-up because he's the winningest. He has the most wins in the history of the UFC. This is a guy who used to fight every 14 days like mm-hmm. he's a monster. He's going to present problems for Connor. And if Connor can't get through Cowboy, then it's good night and good morning. Yeah, it's like, over. I, I think that this is a huge moment in Connor's career because he might just be a whiskey salesman after Saturday night if he can't get it done. There's um, good money in that, though. Oh, there's great. That's that's great the reason there. that Connor is planning his exit strategy <laughs> um, is because of a fight with Floyd Mayweather and a burgeoning whiskey brand that is like the top selling whiskey in Ireland. You so, tried pro- proper twelve. You tried that. Whiskey? I have not tried the, pop, the, the proper twelve yet. Um, so uh, sorry, I can't. Neither I have can't, I. We can't uh, do a whiskey review on this podcast, unfortunately. I can't give you any too much inside whiskey review here. That's but okay. uh, no, I I I buy the fact that. He, I buy the fact that he needs to do it. I might sell the fact that it's the next fight. I okay. think he might. I think he might bill another fight between the two, and then Khabib is the true um, go out on top or final boss. Go out on my yeah, final boss. Go out on my shield or go out on top type situation. Nice. I I, I will take your word for it because as much as I like watching the. You know, uh, the, the casual UFC fight, the big UFC fight, I am by no means an expert in that field. So if that's what you say, I, if you tell me to buy, I'll buy. If you tell me to buy sell, it. I'll sell. Okay. Well, buy I can't the buy the fight because I don't have ESPN+. Plus. So. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Matt, buy or sell? Uh, I, don't know, I don't know how much of it you caught. I'm sure most sure. of it. But LSU's sideline approach, and I say that um, they had Tyron Matthew down there talking to defensive backs. They had Odell and Jarvis down there whispering in receivers' ears. This is in-game. Uh, these guys are on the sideline talking to players. If I'm a position coach, I hate this because you know I've spent my year, my life, getting these guys ready, and now they're getting tutelage from ex-players. Uh, mm-hmm. Buy yourself LSU's sideline approach yesterday. Man, I know it worked, um, so yeah. there's that. Maybe it's just part of the culture there that Coach O doesn't mind having those guys around. But I'm with you. If I'm that position coach, I'm kind of like, guy, like, we're going here. If they're not, 
as long as you know they're they're not getting in on you know when they're on the benches or whatever you know when they call the offense together when the defense out there whatever I mean I, I got I, I still don't really like it I don't know that's it that's I know those guys have a lot to offer and those guys are the best at their craft for a reason but at the same time it just seems like more of a distraction to me. That said, we thought LSU already had enough distractions last night, and they dealt with them pretty mm-hmm. fine. So if you have guys that are capable of it, that can kind of – you might be used to that. Maybe those guys are hanging around practice too a little bit more so they have somewhat of relationships with them. I don't really know. Uh, but, yeah, as a – like you said, as a position coach, I would not be thrilled with that. But if that's something that they're accustomed to and something that they knew was going to happen, not something unexpected, I guess it's okay. I mean, it worked, right? I, I think it's right in line with the way that Coach O has – yeah, has really set things up this season. And that culture. That no disrespect. Built. No disrespect to Coach O, but he didn't call a single play yesterday. You know, mm-hmm. Joe Joe Brady. Joe Brady is why Joe Burrow succeeded so much this season. The, Coach O had the humility to hand that roll off to someone. Coach O is changed the offense. Coach Joe, Coach O is a great uh, motivator. He's a great recruiter. It's very good CEO. How much coaching he did yesterday, I question. Um, sorry, hands That's up in okay. the air. Sorry, I have no I idea. I think it's how right in line. I think it's right in line. Ball, come one, come all. Let's all get a positive feeling here. This is a family approach. Let's all have our hands in the pot now. Having unstable wide receivers talking to your guys during the game, I'd probably lean away from that. But I, I just think that it's very in lockstep with Coach O's done this season. I don't know, man. He, pu- he apparently punched himself in the face like earlier this week. Yeah, he like the what team- the heck? All right, got the team fired up. That's All right, Joe. like I That's said, coaching. motivator. That's managing emotion. Motivator, maybe not, a, maybe, not, maybe not a play caller. Hit me. I don't have to be a play caller to be a coach. Um, I'm going to go to college basketball here because working at uh, CBS, you guys are kind of the, uh, the the hub for that, let's call it. That's right. I would say you're the, you're the go-to spot for college basketball talk. Um, I'm not terribly uh, paying attention too much, too close to it with football season wrapping up. This probably the time you start doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one thing we talked about this a little bit before, the Big Ten is jumping out at me, Joe. I, I, yep. I was told Michigan State's the best team in college basketball at the beginning of the year when they're number one. Then they go and lose by 30 on the road at Purdue. Uh, I, I see Purdue playing inconsistent basketball. Ohio State was a top five team. Now they're one and four in the Big Ten, I think. Joe, I'm just going to ask you straight up, buy or sell, is anyone in the Big Ten that good? Buy, 100%. Okay. I, think they're, I think they're all that good. Okay. I think that Michigan State's that good. I think that Wisconsin's that good. I think Indiana can jump up and get some teams. I think Purdue's very good. I think Maryland's a scary. I think Maryland's a scary team. By all the metrics, the Big Ten, Michigan's good. By all the metrics, the Big Ten is the best conference in college basketball right now, followed by the Big 12. The ACC has had a bit of a fall from yeah. grace here. Um, I think that these teams are all very strong, and they're all very well coached, and they all have some senior leadership on the teams now, which is huge in college very, basketball. It's making it very hard to win a basketball game on the road in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Road wins in the Big Ten should be valued more than anything in college basketball right now. The Big Ten's going to have the most teams in the tournament come tournament time. Now, it is a little bit of cannibalism here with what we're seeing during the season, mm-hmm. but I completely buy that all these teams are pretty damn good. I still think Michigan State's I mean, Baylor looks really good. Uh, Kansas still pretty strong. It doesn't seem to be like three. Michigan State's a top three basketball team on their best day. 
there's there doesn't seem to be i think that's probably part of the reason why i haven't been as attracted to college basketball as early as i, I have been in the past like there doesn't seem to be that one really good team that seemed you know that like last year obviously it was duke in the past no there is no gonzaga there's Man, no marquee name out there there's no blue, there's no kentucky there's no blue blood that's to put it, better than to everybody put it else. into perspective it's wide to open in this, it seems to put it into perspective for you prior to the changing of the calendar 2019 to 2020 six different number ones held number one and were de- were dethroned Six different number ones lost prior to January 1 this season. It's the wow. first time it's ever happened in college basketball. It's the most parity we've seen in a very, very long time. It's just there are a lot of there are a lot of good teams this year. No one's really emerged as great just yet, and I think it's going to make for a wild march. So essentially what you're telling me is come tournament time, put my money on the Big Ten. Come tournament time, don't put your money on anything. That's, That's what true. I'm telling you because oh, nothing, That's, nothing, that's not going to happen. Come tournament time, bet totals, bet unders. That's what you should be doing come tournament time, Matt. Okay, I'm that's, that's NCAA, where smart money is. Ten. That's what I'm, I'm saying NCAA as a whole has gone off, I believe, at like a 63, somewhere around there, 63% under rate. So if you want to make money, bet unders, stay away from teams. Go to, to quote Kurt Russell. In, in the movie uh-huh. Miracle, uh-huh. that's that's just not going to happen. Okay, <laughs> uh, Matt, I got one more for you here. Sure. Buy or sell? Um, it's coming out tomorrow. It's obviously going to tomorrow being Wednesday. Um, it's going to hit some obviously the most sensitive of subjects. But the Aaron Hernandez uh, kind of tell tell all doc is coming out. Buy or sell your interest in this? Yeah, I I'm going to watch it. I would imagine so. I, I would have to buy you know the interest in it. Obviously, it's a very sensitive sort of subject, but. Um, I think anything you can kind of learn about not just that scenario, but, you know, anything involving CT and, you know, head injuries, concussions, which I'm yeah. sure some of this will be centered around. Um, I, I think you should probably look into and get yourself educated on that. And it's just, it's, you know, the same reason, you know, people watch the OJ documentary. It's, it's, it's an interesting topic and you want to learn a little bit more about what exactly might've gone into it, obviously. Yeah. Like we said, very sensitive subject, but, uh, yeah, I, I buy that. I'm going to watch it. I believe it's called The Killer Inside. It comes out Wednesday the 15th on Netflix. Um, all the teasers for it have looked just absolutely chilling and spellbinding, and it seems like they have some tapes and some audio that have not been heard before or seen before. So um, I think it's going to be – I hope it's done tastefully, and I think, yeah. like you said, it could illuminate some things about just a wild, wild story. So I'm in on it too. I, I do have to ask you because we – it happened, and there's Bears news. Technically, I don't think it's something that moves. Oh the yeah, let's at close all, on a Bears note here. They, let's ruin my day. No, no, here, here. So I actually have a different note to close on. But they, they hired an offensive coordinator. Uh, okay, Bill. You Lazer. want my you want my opinion? Yeah, on I would that? love your opinion on that. You want my I, opinion honestly, on I just that? wanted to make you angry. How many times did you hear the name Mark Helfrich this year? Uh, more than I'd like to admit. How many times did you hear the name Mark Helfrich this year? No, I, I, I well, this is kind of why I wanted to get into it because he's the guy to fire. Me, let, that, he's that, the guy to fire when point. Nagy's offense falls flat on its face again. That's think, my opinion on hiring an offense. On, well, if Nagy's offense falls flat on his face, I think he's getting fired too. Um, but I, I think you could tell a hire like this was coming—a guy that you know he was buddies with in Philly and, and all that. When they had interest in Pat Shermer, or said they did, Shermer had some interest in them. And then the second the Broncos opening came, he went and took that immediately because he knew if he came here, he's not calling plays. He's not really running the offense. He's just kind of a a offensive assistant. He's not the actual – he's an offensive coordinator in title. That, to me, jumped out at telling me Matt Nagy is the offensive coordinator. He's not giving up play calling. 
Um, and maybe get used to Andy Dalton. He's a figurehead. <clears throat> make me, you're, make, you're getting me all the clumped here. Better, now, better, better, better final buy or sell question. Okay. Do buy, it. buy or sell Coach O's post game meal last night of a ham sandwich. He had a ham sandwich Cele- after the game. Oh, he didn't. He did. You were probably on the air working. He did an interview on on, uh, on Van Pelt, and you know, asked him, "Hey, you know, what are you going to do to celebrate and all that kind of stuff?" He's like, "Well, you know, I'm probably going to go have have a ham sandwich and maybe some, some maybe hang out with my family and then go to bed." Like, so, God, it's a lot of nitrates. I worry about the nitrates. I'm going to sell it. You know, you can't wait. We need Coach co- Joe to be alive as long it's as It's a celebratory. You can treat yourself a little, a little bit. It's a celebratory, celebratory ham sandwich. Little celebratory maybe don't ham sandwich. Don't eat the Get ham crazy, sandwich throw every day. Maybe, on maybe there. throw some turkey in there once or twice a yeah. week. But Mix you can't be in every club. day. But I think maybe, maybe his go-to sandwich, his treat yourself meal is a nice ham sandwich. I buy anything that Coach O does. You toasting you toasting the bread on that ham sandwich or you're just going straight You have to. If you don't, you're a I'm a you're on a no-fly list if you're, not, if you're eating a ham sandwich with non-toasted bread. I've gotten to the point where I just even like I can eat a cold-cut sandwich; it's fine. But like, it's just always better, you know, warmed up, kind of crisped up a little bit. Am I crazy for thinking that you melt the no, cheese a little bit, then also, it's a little bit warm? I, again, I can eat a cold ham sandwich; it's fine. I'll do it. I'm not going to go out of my way to. But all sandwiches are better warm. Yeah, I just, can't think um, of one that isn't. Uh, tuna. Not no, but you need guy. a toasted bread. You need a toasted bread. The interior needs to be cold. There you go. On a nice tuna salad. I don't really like. I'm not a huge tuna fan. That's tuna salad talk here on the Moose and Runes podcast, episode one Sandwich talk. Sandwich talk, as always. What's um, your Matt, favorite sandwich? Favorite sandwich. Put me on the spot here. But is just, just the people want to know. Send the I, I do love a turkey. I do love a nice turkey club with some crispy okay. bacon, a nice smoked turkey. Um, uh, maybe maybe a maybe a Swiss, a nice Swiss on there as the cheese. Um, I've started. You know what I've started doing here, or what uh, what Go my on. lovely girlfriend has been doing as of late, making some sandwiches here and there. Um, instead of like a, a mayo, doing a little tzatziki. Doing a little like a little the, Greek, the Greek flair, okay. yeah, a little. Interesting. a little tang with the turkey. It's very nice. A little tzatziki, avocado, bacon, turkey on a wheat. It's where I'm at right now. You're bringing the the California lifestyle out with you. Yeah, I brought a little bit with me. You got to do that. You gotta do Can't that. complain. You got a great deli down the street. They do everything well. Mm. Corbo's Deli, no free ads. Yeah, just like we them Netflix, no free ads. Yes, yeah, all of it, Matt. Appreciate you as always, pal. That's going to do it for episode 137 of the pod. Hey, tweet us your favorite sandwich, pod. Tweet us your favorite sandwich. Also, tweet us some of those uh, some of those mailbag questions. Like those I always too. say, we want to get back into it. Ask us some questions about the national title game. Ask us some questions about playoff football, about sandwiches, whatever it may be. We want to make the podcast yours. We appreciate you guys, as always, for tuning into the Moose and Runes podcast, episode 137 in the books. We'll see you next week for 138. For Matt, I'm Joe. Peace. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.